everyone. This is Pastor Laura from First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama. Thank you for joining us again with Love God and Your Neighbor. Today we're going to be talking about Christology. You might be able to figure out what Christology means, but uh, in case you haven't figured that out or never heard the word before, uh, Christology is literally the branch of Christian theology uh, that explores the person, the nature, and the role of Christ. So this sermon is a Christological sermon. It is exploring the nature of Jesus the Christ. Is he fully God? Is he fully human? Does it even matter? I think it does matter. And I will explain further in this sermon. You'll understand, you'll hear more about why it does matter who Jesus was and who we believe Jesus was and who we claim Jesus to be. So anyway, I hope that you enjoy the sermon. If you don't enjoy it, I hope that you are at least some thought is provoked and maybe your spirit is moved a little. And I pray that you are doing well. I hope life is treating you well. And if it is not, I pray that God gives you the strength to get through this time. You are beloved and loved and loved again by God. So uh, I hope that that sees you through. Peace be with you all. Love you. Bye. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. So it seems to me that a lot of people ask this question. Who is Jesus really? Seekers and non-believers, mostly, are constantly questioning the humanity and the divinity of this man that Christians worship so devoutly. And that's a good thing. Christians need to take a page from their book and spend more time exploring who Jesus was then and who Jesus is for us today. There are so many questions that can be asked. Questions like, was he human? Or was he a God? Or was he the God? If he was human, did he feel the same things that we feel in our human bodies? Did he feel anger or sadness or hunger? Or cravings for his favorite food? Did he get tired or irritable? Or did he ever fall in love? And if he was human, how could he have also been divine? And if he was divine, what does that mean? <clears throat> was he a God separate from the God we worship? And if so, does that make us polytheistic? Are we no different than the pagans 
of biblical times? Or was Jesus the incarnation of the one true God? Our God come to earth in human form in order to finally bridge that uncrossable divide between the divine and sinful creation. Well, from the time that Jesus was born, people have been asking these things about him. In his day, their main concern was whether or not he was the Messiah, the anointed, the champion, the liberator, the defender, and the savior of the Jewish nation of Israel. And if he was the Messiah that all of the prophets had talked about, then what kind of Messiah would he be? The Jewish people were expecting a political savior, a soldier, or a king who would lead the nation of Israel back to its original glory. They were looking for someone with a lot of social pull, someone who would stand against the power of the day, be it Rome or Babylon or Assyria. Maybe the Messiah would be someone with money, maybe not. They were looking for someone who would lift them out of the oppression that the Jewish people had known for so long. And then here comes Jesus. In our text today, the baby, or toddler, Jesus, is being presented in the temple. This ceremony was indeed very special to the Jewish family, but there was nothing unusual about the event. Every firstborn male born into the law of Moses, was designated as holy to the Lord. His parents, Mary and Joseph, brought him to the temple. They presented a couple of turtle doves or two young pigeons for sacrifice. And the priests blessed the child. There is a good chance that there were several, if not many, children being dedicated that day, all lined up to be given to the Lord So it was no small thing when a stranger comes out of the crowd and begins to proclaim all kinds of amazing things about the baby Jesus. It was unusual to an exponential degree. And then after this first guy, another woman comes up and says similar things. I can just picture the scene in my head. Can you? So Luke mentions five people as players in this story or in this play. There is Jesus, of course, and then Joseph and Mary, and then Simeon and Anna come onto the scene. The scripture says something about each of these people, and some of them get more lines than others, but there is one character that was most definitely present, but is not mentioned or alluded to even once in the whole story. Can you think who that might be? The person who is at the center of the whole story but is never mentioned is the priest. The priest. Of course I would be sensitive to this character because we share a few of the same duties in life, right? And as a person who has received many babies, who has blessed and baptized many children, my thought is, what? was the priest thinking as all of this amazing craziness played out in front of him? Picture it, will you? There he is, standing at the altar, 
receiving child after child, sacrificing dove after dove, carrying out the blessed duties of his holy office. Here come Joseph and Mary stepping up to witness the blessing and purification of their firstborn son, and they are filled with so much pride and joy. And while the priest is conducting the ceremony, here comes this old man who runs up and grabs Jesus out of his mother's arms. So I'm going to stop you on that one right there for just a second and ask you to picture what you would do if a stranger came up off the street and grabbed your child from your arms right in the middle of his or her dedication. What would be your reaction? (laughs) Well, as the priest in this situation, I think I could safely guess I would be alarmed. Might be an understatement to say the least. Okay, so this stranger has taken the baby, and he begins to explain with such excitement, God, you can now release your servant. Release me in peace as you have promised. With my own eyes, I have seen your salvation. It is now out in the open for everyone to see. A God-revealing light to the non-Jewish nations and of glory to your people Israel. And the child's parents were amazed at what he said. At that moment, I'm going to guess a 105-year-old prophetess named Anna came up and began to praise God and speak about the child to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And there is the priest standing there in the middle of sacrificing a dove, standing with his jaw on the floor, thinking, Who is this kid? And after all the hoopla, Simon wanders away ecstatic, and Anna goes off to her place in the temple to continue her prayers. And the priest? Well, I guess the priest just goes on with the ceremony. And then Mary and Joseph take Jesus back to Nazareth, and they just go on with their lives. And the priest is still at the temple, scratching his head and pondering all of the things that were said about the baby Jesus that day. Simeon was a devout man in Jerusalem who had been told by the Holy Spirit many years ago that he would not die until he laid his eyes on the Lord's Messiah. Not just any Messiah, because there were many people claiming to be the Messiah in those days. But the one sent by God is the one he was promised. The Jews' expectation of the Messiah was that he would be politically, physically, and socially powerful. And would take down the Gentile powers to raise Israel to its former glory. But what does Simeon say? For my eyes have seen your salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles or the non-Jewish nations, and for glory to your people Israel. Now there wasn't a Jewish person on the planet at that time who was looking for a Messiah to bring revelation and light to the non-Jewish nations. Glory to Israel, yes. 
But revelation to the Gentiles, not in a million years. Gentiles were the enemy, the oppressors, the reason they needed a Messiah in the first place. So it's odd enough that Simeon, this devout Jewish man, would say all of these things about Jesus. But the thing that really makes this an astonishing event was that right after Simeon says these things, Anna comes onto the scene and verifies everything that Simeon said. But who was Anna? Well, she was important enough to not only be named, but to be given a lineage and a history as well which is not such a common thing for women in the Bible, many of whom are never even named. She was a well-known prophet who had lived in the temple for at least 50 years, and she spent all of her time fasting and praying. Have you ever known someone who was so spiritually disciplined? Someone who spent most of their days thinking about, learning about, and listening to God. What was that person like? Well, I know one person who spends all day, every day, reading the Bible. He is an absolutely inspiring person. He knows the entire Bible, word for word, book, chapter, and verse. And he can call up relevant scriptures for any conversation or topic. And the most important part of this incredible gift is that he is knowledge, his knowledge of Scripture brings him an unbelievable amount of peace and comfort throughout his life. I know another person who prays multiple times a day. And I mean, I pray all the time, throughout the day, but not like this woman. She spends quality time with God two, three, four, sometimes five times a day on her knees or in prayer groups, or sitting and praying alone after reading the Bible, she is in constant communion with God. And consequently, even though her life has not been easy, she carries with her a peacefulness that is contagious. I imagine Anna was a lot like these two people. I imagine people looked at her with awe. Maybe they even went to her for prayer and blessings. I imagine she was greatly respected by anyone who knew her, which is why Anna's opinion meant so much. She had lived in the temple for 50 years, and she spent all of her time fasting and praying. Anna was in touch with God, and God was in touch with her. So who was that kid that inspired so much enthusiasm from such wise prophets as Simeon and Anna? I still picture the priest looking confused, don't you? Well, he wasn't the only one. Since the day Jesus died and was then resurrected, people have been arguing over the true nature of Jesus the Christ. Gnosticism believed that Jesus was purely divine and not human at all. Arianism claimed that Jesus was created by God and so not fully divine. While Athanasius of Alexandria was a Christian theologian, a church father, the chief defender of Trinitarianism against Arianism, and a noted Egyptian leader of the 4th century. Think about that, 300 A.D., 
His thoughts on the nature of Christ helped to shape the ideas that we take for granted today. He said, repentance cannot remedy fallen nature. We are corrupted and need to be restored to the grace of God's image. And no one can renew but he who created. He alone could recreate all, suffer for all, represent all before the Father. Once transgression had got a head start, human nature ended up completely corrupted and deprived of the grace which we once had from being made in the image of God. And so our repentance was no longer enough to restore this grace and give us the new beginning that we needed. So what was needed then? The Word of God, who at the beginning made all out of nothing. Only he could restore the corruptible to the incorruption. While maintaining the justice of the Father towards us, he alone, being the word of the Father and above all, was able to recreate everything and worthy to suffer on behalf of all and to be ambassador for all to the Father. And so Athanasius says the word visits the earth where he has always been present, and he sees its evil condition. He takes a human body, born of a pure virgin, in whose womb he makes human flesh his own, in which to reveal himself, to conquer death, and restore life. For this purpose, to restore creation, to suffer for us, and to appeal on behalf of the Father, on our behalf to the Father, The incorporeal and incorruptible word of God comes to our realm because he humbled himself and came to show his love for us and to visit us. Athanasius. It is likely that the priest who received Jesus in the temple that day, did not fully understand what he was witnessing. But I sincerely hope he did. Because that day, that seemingly ordinary day, that priest held in his hands a child, yes, but also God. Grace personified. Salvation for all. Simeon knew it, Anna knew it, and I really hope the priest knew it as well. Jesus was the Lord's Messiah. Jesus was born to save the Israelites, but not in the way that the Israelites were expecting. God's plan for creation and for his chosen people went well beyond life on this planet. Jesus was sent to be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus is God's salvation for the whole world. Jesus also came to bring glory to God's people of Israel. Jesus was the Messiah. Just way more of a Savior than anyone had ever anticipated. Because this Savior didn't come to save the lives of Jewish bodies. He came to save their souls. He came to save our souls. He came to save everyone's soul. And that is the gift that can only be given by the one, 
the Word, the Creator, the Divine, the Great I Am, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the God that all Israelites worshipped and revered, and now, through Jesus, the God of all people. Amen? So who is this kid? This kid is everything we have ever needed and everything we will ever need again. Amen. Amen. Amen.